0: The grip of oppression, I fought for my liberty. I fade with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free. Now my doors always open. Door's always open. To dreamers and, dreamers and friends, oh, when I'm attacked. I protect and defend, because my name is America.
1: Hello, everyone, and I welcome. This is Karen Schoen, and you are listening to the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Today, we're going to learn a little history as history gets erased before our eyes. And I am sure that many of you have heard this quote, control the food, you control the people, control the oil, you control the nation, control the money, and you control the world. I, I do not for one minute think that this banking debacle with um, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and all the other banks are nothing more than a major shift of the middle class bailing out the wealthiest people on this planet. And that's what we are doing. This is a wealth transfer, and it is being done on purpose to destroy, once again, the middle class. Now, why do they always pick on the middle class? Because we are, first of all, a majority. And second of all, many, most of us are free thinkers. We are innovators. We are creators. We create businesses. We create these small businesses. The behemoth monsters don't create anything. What they do is tap into what we have done and then change it and tweak it and use it for themselves. Uh, I remember when I was in business, one of the things that I learned real fast was a business will take over another business. And what is the first thing they get rid of? the salespeople. Why? Because the salespeople usually are the ones that have developed the demand for the product. And they feel that you can get rid of the middleman and just produce the product. Most of the time, it doesn't work that way because people really want customer service. And when you do things like that, you don't have a salesperson going and meeting with their customers. There is no personal service. And we see that happening now, as people are blindly buying things right off the internet that come from China. Remember China, the country that hates us and wants to bury us. So what are we doing? We're feeding the beast. What are we? Why are we doing that? Because that's what we have been programmed to do. And we are programmed to do these things because we don't understand history. We don't understand that everything we're experiencing today has happened before. And if we knew that, we might stop it. And that is absolutely intolerable. No one will allow you to stop what they feel is their driven path to destroy the world so that they can come up with a utopia where they control everything and in the phrase, you will own nothing and you will be happy is their mantra. We have too much of that going on. Too many people are beginning to realize that renting everything means giving everything to the federal government, to the government, to the government sources, to the bureaucrats who think that they are smarter and richer and can control our thoughts and our actions. And we have to show them that that is not true. And one of the ways to show them that is to learn our history. And when I talk about history, my favorite go-to person is William Federer, Bill Federer, a friend of the show, been on many times and given us so many wonderful clues as to our past, so it helps us to determine our future. And this past week, Uh, We actually had two holidays that I feel most people have no idea what they are and the importance and how they are relevant into today's society. So I have asked Bill to join us today and to explain some of our past so that it can help us determine what will be a good future. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. It is always wonderful when you are on the show.
0: Oh, great to be with you.
1: Well Bill I said there are two things this past week that we experienced and one was the ides of march so what are those ides of march what does that mean that that weird phrase that nobody really understands and what does that have to do with today and who cares
0: uh, well the ides is the name for the 15th day of the month and march 15th was when Julius Caesar got assassinated. Ah. So uh, you had a Roman Republic from 527 BC up until Julius Caesar. He turned it into a a dictatorship. And the uh, senators uh, wanted to think that they could preserve the Republic by assassinating him. And they did it on March 15th so a little of the the roman history the republic had 600 senators and they represented areas of italy and as the years went on they sort of gravitated to being parties and then the parties ended up having party leaders and they would end up working or being enemies of each other julius caesar and he his dad was from a noble family, but got on the wrong side of leadership and got stripped of his money. And so Julius Caesar grew up without money and realized that if he joined the military, he could escape debt collectors because Rome had a provision that if you're serving in the military, then the debt collectors can't come after you. And he ends up being a really good general and he conquers in Europe or Gaul, G-A-U-L. And he captures lots of stuff and then he brings it into Rome and not only does he pay off his debts, but he gives away money and stuff to the Roman citizens. And so they like him. One of the things was the Europeans in uh, East, the Eastern Europeans were called Slavs, like Yugoslav, Czechoslav, Slovenia, Slovakia. Slav is the name of a people group that actually, t- in their language, meant glorious one. But Caesar and others began to capture them and bring them into Rome and sell them as permanent servants, that the word Slav got the connotation of a permanent servant. And today we pronounce it slave. So the citizens of Rome liked Julius Caesar because he's given them free stuff. Then he decides he wants to run for politics and he's marching toward Rome with his victorious army. And the Roman Republic would have a tradition that the generals would not march into the city of Rome with their army. They send a message to Julius Caesar, disband your army before you come into Rome. And he's crossing the the Swiss Alps and the the Italian Alps, and he's coming into Italy, and he gets to the Rubicon River, and he does not dissolve his army, and he crosses the Rubicon, and he gives the famous line, the die is cast." which dies plural for dice. So you'd have those little dice that you would, uh, gamblers would shake and then throw out and see which number comes up. And so the Roman idea was this, he he cast the die. So he's like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to cross the Rubicon River with my army. And he, he marches into Rome and forms a triumvirate with the two other big political leaders. One was Crassus, who was the richest guy in Rome and the other was Pompey, or Pompey, and he was a famous general, but a little bit older. Julius Caesar and Pompey and Crassus form a triumvirate. Crassus was, uh, by the way, um, Caesar decided to start a cult of Julius Caesar and make his general, Mark Anthony, his high priest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That worked out well, didn't it?
0: (laughs) And um, anyway, so Crassus uh that dies in 53 bc he saw how pompey was the general and got the glory for being a general and so crassus is responsible for spartacus you had gladiators and the gladiators got tired of having to fight each other to the death and so a bunch of gladiators rebelled and they left rome and they marched across italy to uh the coast and they had paid some pirate ships to come and pick them up and take them away. And Crassus finds out about this, and he pays the pirate ships more money not to show up. And so the gladiators, wait, 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 the ships don't show up. And the only thing they know to do is to go back to Rome. And so now this weakened gladiator army marching toward Rome, and Crassus comes out and defeats them. He's hoping to be now praised as a general who saved Rome from these gladiators, but some other general gets the the glory from the the battle instead of him anyway. But Crassus dies 53 BC and it turns into no longer a triumvirate, turns into a tug of war between Pompey and Julius Caesar. Caesar's marching toward Rome and Pompey leaves. Uh, And when Caesar goes into Rome, he doesn't have any money. So he goes to the Temple of Saturn, which was their federal reserve, and he takes the money And he buys supporters, using money to buy Antifa BLM riders. Um, And so now Pompey flees. He's the one who who, um, captured Armenia and Cappadocia and the areas in Turkey. And Pompey was the one who heard about the Jews having a civil war between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's when Pompey took advantage of the division and went into Jerusalem while the Jews were fighting each other. And he captures the temple and Pompey goes into the Holy of Holies, and he turns around and comes out and tells his men, don't touch this place. And so the Jews sort of liked Pompey, but from that point on, Jerusalem and Israel was a province of Rome It lost its independence. Anyway, Pompey flees to Egypt. King of Egypt decides to betray Pompey and cut off his head. And so Julius Caesar is chasing Pompey. Egypt shows up and finds out his head was chopped off, and he's like, um, you know Shakespeare's plays, like, oh, how tragic that such a noble warrior as Pompey died by in such a cheap way of, of being betrayed. And anyway, so Julius Caesar is now the uh, head of Rome. He, he has no challengers. They had a provision in Rome for a one-year term called a dictator. So when the Roman Republic was attacked, they didn't. They knew someone had to be in a position to call the shots really quick. And so this was a one-year term called a dictator. The famous guy was Cincinnatus, and he comes, leads the army during the Roman Republic period. And after the year, they win. He goes back to his farm. He's 80 years old. Their Roman Republic attacked again. They got Cincinnatus. He organizes Rome. They win. He goes back to his farm. And so the founding fathers looked to this period of the Roman Republic and Cincinnatus as the example of being willing to, to win a war and go back to your farm. They started the Order of Cincinnatus with the founding fathers, and um, that's what Cincinnati, Ohio, got named after. And uh, this Roman uh, guy who was a dictator, but he gave up being a dictator and went back to his farm after a year. Well, Julius Caesar wanted to make himself dictator for life. This is like Xi Jinping oh. for life, or, or Putin saying we be president for life. And the senators, the, they decided, well, wait a second, this is going to transition Rome from a republic to a, a, a dictator and uh, an emperor. And so on the Ides of March, surround Julius Caesar uh, in the um, in Rome. The uh, Senate met, uh, stab him, um, but they, they don't want one person to assassinate him. So because then that one person will know that he'll get blamed and he'll get killed. So all the senators decided that they would all stab him. And in the year 44 BC on March 15th, The last one to stab him was Brutus, and Brutus was sort of like the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so Shakespeare's play, you know, Caesar's being stabbed, and he's like stumbling and bleeding. And then the last one is Brutus, and then Caesar says, et tu Brute, which means, and you Brutus. And so Brutus stabs him anyway, and he dies. They think they saved the Republic from a dictatorship. Uh, but the people liked Julius Caesar because he gave him free stuff. He's the one who would conquer and come back to Rome with with all kinds of stuff and slobs and, and slaves that he would give away. And so the people begin to riot. <clears throat> and they think, well, the way to calm it down, let's get Julius Caesar's general, Mark Anthony, to speak at the funeral and to sort of smooth everything open. And Shakespeare's play... Uh, he has Mark Anthony saying, friends, countries, Romans, lend me your ears. And he starts off talking about how wonderful the Senate is and how sad it was Caesar dies. But then in, in Shakespeare's uh, rendition of it in his play, he has um, Mark Anthony holding up the tunic uh, with all the stab, And then he one by one pointed the stab holes and name a senator and name another senator, name another until uh, he stirs up the whole crowd into a frenzy of hate Uh, I mean this is like this is like an Al Sharpton uh, Jesse Jackson type of thing I mean they stir them up stir them up and then they go out and they begin to riot and tear down these senators houses and it's like super mayhem and so the only way they can restore any type of order was they got Caesar's nephew named Octavius who later takes the name Augustus and he becomes the emperor But as it turns out, his general, Mark Anthony, or Julius Caesar's general, Mark Anthony, thinks that Augustus shouldn't have been picked. And so now it turns into a battle between Augustus and Mark Anthony. And Mark Anthony is the one who was married to Cleopatra. Then they uh, both commit suicide in, in Egypt. And then at that point, Augustus Caesar is the undisputed emperor. And so Rome transitions from a republic Uh, to a a dictatorship, uh, an emperor. And uh, so that's the Ides of March. It was March 15th in the year 44 BC is when Julius Caesar was assassinated.
1: Wow. I see so many similarities between what went on in the 50 BC that we're doing today. And we had so many phrases that also came from that area that... that nobody really knows came from them. And what came to mind when you were talking was when we say the die is cast, how many people know where that came from? Or crossing the Rubicon. Uh, How many times have we used that as a phrase and nobody knows where it comes from? And of course, the idea of buying your supporters, well, what's going on right now as this administration is trying to give out free stuff? Uh, It looks like they have copied exactly what went on in the Roman time. And had we known that, we would be able to recognize that. And we would be able to say, no, wait a minute. We don't want to change from a republic to a dictatorship. We're not going to give you all of that power, Senate and House. Now, Bill, I had a question. You said that the senators, there were 600 of them. Is that similar to our House of Representatives where the name had just been changed? Because I know in the beginning, the senators uh, in the Constitution, they were supposed to be appointed from the senator pool of each state. And that, of course, was changed and the senators are now elected. So they really have no allegiance to that particular state or anything. But I think was the senators, was that similar to uh, what we consider the house of representatives today?
0: Yes. Yes. So we have a bicameral legislature, which means we have two houses. Uh, Rome did not have that. It only had the one house called the Senate. Now, There, a little bit of Roman history, you know, 527 BC, Rome had a king named Tarquin. He had a son who raped a virtuous woman named Lucretia. And the Roman women, their virtue was, their honor was very, very important to them. Uh, Lucretia was so distraught that the king's son had stolen her honor and that she gets the Roman leaders together and commits suicide right in front of them. These Roman lead. And so that's a famous artwork, you know, Michelangelo and da Vinci, you know, the rape of Lucretia or Lucretia committing suicide in front of the Romans, you know, leaders. And anyway, so the Roman leaders decide get rid of King Tarquin and set up a Republic. And they made a rule that if anybody came anywhere close to being a king Anybody could kill the person without any repercussions. So one of these Roman leaders was named Publius, and Publius was building a mansion in Rome. And word began to, rumor began to spread that he was thinking of making himself king. When he heard the rumor, he destroyed his own mansion. And uh, and so nobody in Rome wanted to come anywhere close to being a king. It was a republic with these senators. Now, the senators were hereditary, not elected. And so that's
1: a big difference, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so, so they represented an area, but that was passed down sort of like in England. You have the House of Lords, but then it would pass on to a son or a grandson or whatever. Uh, but in Athens, they had a democracy, and that's where they would vote for their their leaders. And so we in America do sort of a hybrid where we mix a little Athens with a little Rome. So we democratically elect our representatives. And so that is what the House of Congress is. Now, The Senate, as you mentioned, the senators were originally supposed to represent the states. And so your state legislature would pick one amongst themselves to be the U.S. senator. And so the U.S. senators had one goal in mind, keep the federal government small, because they had to report back to their state legislature. And if they didn't do a good job, the state would get rid of them. And put in somebody else that would. When you had these uh, robber barons, uh, the Rockefellers, Carnegie's, J. Paul Gettys, and there was a push for an income tax and Woodrow Wilson finally caked and it was originally a 1% tax on the top 1% richest people in the country. So the common people never, ever, ever thought they would pay it. It would just be for the Bill Gates and George Soros and Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Zuckerberg. And it wouldn't be for us, it would be for them. Uh, and that and was Woodrow Wilson that pushed through that income tax and uh, but these rich guys didn't didn't get off the hook that easy um, or give up that easy they formed tax-free foundations Carnegie Foundation Rockefeller Foundation Ford Foundation so this way they could still control their money they just weren't taxed on it then you had um, they pushed through the 17th amendment they also pushed through the Federal Reserve Act in the one house it was called the Aldrich bill uh, for the Republicans and then the Federal Reserve Act for the Democrats and um, but it was basically backed by the same people since the, the Rockefellers and Carnegie's and everybody publicly supported the Aldrich bill. Everybody thought, well, the federal reserve act must be the opposite of it. It, it must be good. if because the other one's bad. They didn't realize that they all these rich guys met on Jekyll Island and came up with the federal reserve act that they controlled, Right. So it had like 24 regional banks with stock and they owned the stock and, so they still controlled the. it. But, um, and the, by the way, the Federal Reserve was put in place to prevent bank runs. It was sold to the public that this would prevent bank runs. This would stabilize the country with a federal overseeing of the bank, so you'd never, ever, ever have a bank run. But since then, we've had the Great Depression, and we had bank runs. The only difference is they were orchestrated bank runs. If, if you could plan the bank run in advance, well, gee, you could make a, a real killing. Anyway, so the 17th Amendment was pushed through in 1917, easy to remember, and it changed the senators from being elected by their state legislatures to being elected by rich people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what do right. I mean? Yep. Uh, you,
0: you say that we get to vote for your senator thinking, hey, I get to directly elect my senator. Well, you think it through to run for a statewide office, Uh, If they're no longer chosen by their state legislatures to run a statewide race, you need lots of money and, and you need lots of time. So you can't be working your job and your farm. You have to you have to be independently wealthy. You have to be a millionaire to run for Senate or you need to go to the millionaires and sell yourself and say, look, I will represent you and stand for what you stand for. Just give me the money to run this big statewide race. And so that's why most of the senators or are millionaires or they go in not millionaires and they come out millionaires. It's, it's what's uh, called insider trading. Matter of fact, I think one of the congressmen has recently put forth a bill to stop it. If you know from some inside information, like uh, a bank, like uh, the Sun Valley bank or whatever out in California, if you know ahead of time that with some inside information that it's going to, to fall, and you take that inside information and you hurry up and sell your stock, Um, you're benefiting from this inside information. That's called insider trading, and that's illegal. Yet, if you're a a congressman or a senator and you go to a hearing, uh, and I talked to one congressman, he said, this is how it works. There's a hearing, let's say, uh, to extend a pharmaceutical company's monopoly on a certain drug from 15 years to 30 years. They are in the hearing, and they vote to extend the monopoly, And then they go out and he says, both Democrats and Republicans will buy stock in the company. And then when the the news breaks that the monopoly has been extended from 15 to 30 years, the stock for that particular company rises. And so they all make money off it by doing insider trading. Anybody else that would take inside information and buy the stock would be committing a federal crime. They have inside information because they're the ones that voted to do this. They get off the hook. So that's where you have Nancy Pelosi, you know, and, and these different politicians, you know, giving inside news to their husbands and the husband buys the stock and, and, and all this corrupt stuff. Um,
1: so that's think- how they all become millionaires on our, and on what they are doing to again, destroy the middle class. Um, communists cannot have a middle class. They cannot have a group of people that will be in opposition to what they say. They only have the haves and the have-nots. And right now, this is what this administration is trying to push on America, which they call the managed decline. Well, we're not interested in a declining America at all, not not those listening to me ever talk. America should be first. We should be the shining city on a hill. And even though right now we are down in the dumps, Americans can pull us up, but only if we get engaged. Bill, I'm gonna ask you if you'll stay with me for the next session and uh, maybe we can discuss what impact St. Patrick had in America. Because, as we can see, it is so important to learn history so that we don't repeat it. And unfortunately, we are repeating it. So, Bill, tell everyone where they can find you and we'll take a break and come right back.
0: Well, thank you. My website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And I have books and DVDs on St. Patrick, but also one on socialism, uh, the real history from Plato to the present, in which I go through all the stuff that i'm talking about here
1: well please everyone sign up on bill's website and get the american minute i have learned so much from reading bill's information and it is wonderful to be able to tie the past to the future because the past is a glimpse on what we can look forward to and right now it's not pretty good So you are listening to Karen Schoen. This is the Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Hold that thought. Hold your pen and paper and come right back. And let's learn a little bit about St. Patrick and what he had to do with America. We'll be right back. spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers
0: we know you love the versatility and portability of the genesis fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it well we heard you introducing the ux4 hocl atomizer this stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces with over a quarter million units sold in japan it's now available in the united states Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash outloud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis... You're ready for anything. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. Go to healthycell.com and use code OutLoud for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back.
1: everyone. This is Karen Schoen, and you are listening to The Prism of America's Education, brought to you on the America Out Loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. I've asked Bill to come back and spend some time with us to talk about St. Patrick's Day, because as we have discovered, a lot of the things that happened in ancient Rome is happening in America today. People really don't change. Evil is evil, good is good. And unfortunately, we always have good fighting evil. So what does St. Patrick's Day have to do with America? And why should we care? Bill Federer, can you share that information with us?
0: Well, thank you, Aaron, And I do have a book and a DVD on it as well. So China begins to build the Great Wall of China around the second century AD. And this makes it so the Huns cannot attack into China. And so they turn westward. And it starts a domino effect of displaced tribes across Central Asia, spilling across the Roman border. And so, in a sense, Rome was being invaded by illegal immigrants. And first they came slow and they assimilated and learned the Latin language. But then they came so fast, they kept their own language. And then they came so, so fast that it turned into invasion. And so they had these people rushing across the border and then it turned into uh, battles. And so you had the Visigoths and Ostrogoths and the Lombards and the Anglos and the Saxons and the Jutes. And one of the tribes was named Vandals. That was the name of their tribe. You can imagine what they did when they went through town. So Rome had to pull its legions back from the frontiers. And Britain was a frontier Roman colony from the time of Julius Caesar until now, 400 AD. And so uh, the first, you know, while everything's fine, the Roman legions are gone. But then you would have robbing and stealing and kidnapping. And these marauding bands would kidnap and put people on boats and take them back to Ireland and sell them as slaves to the Druids. A Halloween came from Ireland. Uh, the Druids would chop off heads and use them as footballs and put them on poles around their little fortresses and they'd shrink heads. And the Druid priests would have them and they'd use skulls for goblets. And and that Halloween came from the Druids. Um, this uh, The whole woods were filled full of these demon spirits like poltergeists and sprites and um, little elves and leprechaun-type demons. And um, they constantly had to be appeased, otherwise they would do uh, stuff. And so everyone's living in fear. And so uh, so Patrick is over there as a slave. And he talks about um, af- after six years, uh, he said he would pray through in the morning, through snow, through frost, through rain. The spirit within him was fervent. And then he said, one night I heard in my sleep a voice saying to me, see, your ship is ready, but not near a a distance of 200 miles. And so he escaped, uh, found a boat that they were putting wolfhounds on it to take back to Europe to sell us hunting dogs. And he was able to hitch a ride. He makes his way back to Britain and he's reunited with what's left of his family. And everything's pretty uneventful until he turns 40 years old. And then he has another dream. He said, In the depth of a night, I saw a man named Victoricus coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters, and he gave one to me, and the heading ran, The Cry of the Irish. And I thought I heard at that moment the voice of those who were beside the wood of Folkloth near the Western Sea in Ireland, call out, Please, holy boy, come and walk among us again. Their cry pierced my very heart. I could read no more, so I awoke. Well, he took this as a call from God, like the Apostle Paul had a dream of a guy in Macedonia saying, come over here. Um, Patrick took this as a call to go back to Ireland. And so he's 40 years old now, and he lands, and he goes right into the dens of the Druid chieftains. And he spoke to them in their own language, which he had learned years ago when he was a slave over there. And the Druid priests immediately want to kill Patrick because they realize this is a new religion. But the chieftain was like, what's the hurry? He's not armed, and we don't get visitors that often. And anyway, the chieftain gives him a plot of land. He builds his first church. The Patrick talks about the Druids trying to kill him at least a dozen times, laying in ambush for him and capturing him and, thank God, having him escape. And his style of evangelism was confrontational. In one of the stories, there was a chieftain, and he made everyone extinguish their fires on a particular night of the year and come with a gift, a goat or something to the Druid priest to get some coals to relight their fire for the next year. And whoever did not extinguish their fire on this night of the year would be put to death. Well, it happened to me the night before Easter, and Patrick said, I'm not going to submit to the king. He goes to the top of the highest hill and lights a bonfire that you can see for miles and miles. And everyone is like, well, what about that guy, king? And so he sends a bunch of soldiers up to get capture Patrick. And Patrick prays in a loud voice, may God come and scatter his enemies. And they're smote down. And then the king comes on bended knee and ends up repenting. This was called the contest at Tara. And it's in all the history books regarding St. Patrick. Uh, he talks about these different times they tried to kill him. And one time they laid an ambush in a valley. And all day long, all they saw go by was a deer. Yet the next day, Patrick's on the other side of the valley. So uh, anyway, so his prayer is called the deer's cry. I it to myself today the strong name of the Trinity, three in one, one in the same you know, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me. And, um, it's just a really great prayer. He's, he's evangelizing the Druids, and they're illiterate. And so he would use things to convey spiritual concepts, like the three-leaf clover, to teach the Trinity. Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, three in one. He baptizes 120,000 people, starts 300 churches. Uh, he dies on March 17th in 461 AD. Uh, several centuries after his death, you had all these different Irish monks and they would go back to Europe to uh, to evangelize, and so one was named Columba, which means dove, and he evangelizes Britain, and then another one called Columbanus, and he uh, starts over a hundred churches across Northern Europe, and to evangelize all these heathen hordes, these Visigoths and Ostrogoths and Lombards and Franks and Germans, and that overrun the Roman Empire. So it sort of went full circle. Story of how these irish would do their evangelism was they'd go down to the dock or the coast and get on a little dinghy boat and wherever the wind blew them they figured that's where the holy spirit wanted them to be a missionary so that'd be an interesting way to wow (laughs) that's um that
1: is very interesting it is a it is a fascinating story and we're going to have to learn more and more because as we can see there's so much of the past that has been erased that we don't know that reflects on what we are doing today. And yes, we are repeating the same things over and over again. And as Bill laid out before, everything is connected. These people are the same. All they are is the offspring of the people who started this mess to begin with, and they have just continued it. And this is, unfortunately, we are copying what was done in the past. What did they say? There's nothing new under the sun. Everything is a copy.
0: There's one interesting thing. So when these Druids would become Christian and they would stop chopping off heads, they went to Patrick and said, well, how do we do our our laws? And so he takes some Bible law, some Latin law, salvages some Irish law, puts it together. It's called the Code of Patrick. And when the Irish missionaries took this back to Britain, it became the basis for English common law. And it was codified by Alfred the Great in the 800s. He's the one who started Oxford University. And then, of course, English common law became the basis for American law. So here St. Patrick may have even influenced the very laws we have in America. Uh, Another was a woman named St. Brigid of Kildare. She's an Irish woman that got saved underneath the St. Patrick. And she was bold and gutsy and she would go to these Irish chieftains and would tell them, you need to give me land to build a church to build a monastery, to build a convent, to build an abbey, and they would give them to her. And so she started dozens and dozens of monasteries and convents and abbeys, St. Bridget of Kildare. So God uses uh, gutsy uh, women as well. So,
1: please tell everyone where they can find you. And folks, everyone, please sign up for Bill's newsletters. They are incredible.
0: Well, thank you, Karen. My website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And then I do have a uh email they can sign up for there, as well as a book and a DVD on St. Patrick.
1: Oh, that is fantastic. Folks, Bill has written so many wonderful books that should be part of our curricula, because if those who don't know the past will continue to repeat it, we want to get out of that circle. We want to stop that cycle. We want to make sure that what we are doing is not a repetition of the past. We need to be building our future on what was learned from the past. That's the idea of knowing so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. Thank you, Bill, for joining me.
0: Well, thank you, Karen. Anytime.
1: I am so happy to have with us today, Dr. Karen Hiltz, who I met a while ago when we were working on a project called education, my favorite topic. And we realized that in order for education to work properly, the truth has to be told in education. Otherwise, what are the kids learning? Well, obviously, when we look at what's going on in society today, we learn that they're not learning anything. The only thing that they're learning is hate. And as I have said all the time, hate is a learned emotion. No child comes out of the womb and says, oh, I hate Jews, or I hate Italians, or I hate blacks, or whatever. It doesn't work that way. Hate is an emotion which you have to learn. And apparently, they are learning that in school. But there is Good news, And the good news is that many patriots, many truth tellers have decided that it is time to be on their school boards. Now, of course, my favorite is get your kids out of school and we'll worry about the school boards after. But for those of you that have to keep your kids in the indoctrination clinic, you should know what's going on. And therefore, if you have kids in school, you should be going to those school board meetings. If you decide to run for school board, which is what I hope many of you will do, there is a wonderful program that Dr. Karen is involved in. So I'm going to step back and I'm going to let her describe to you what Freedom Works is doing to help our children get out of the atrocities that school has to offer today. Dr. Karen, thank you so much for joining me. Um, can you share with us, it's so exciting what Freedom Works is doing, and I am so glad to be able to help you spread the word.
2: Yes, Karen, it's so great to be with you again. Um, And there are some exciting things happening. As you know, um, I ran for the legislature here in Florida to try to make an impact from that perspective because I believe legislation needs intentional, uh, not reactionary thought. And uh, I was not successful in my primary, so I, I'm working with FreedomWorks, the Parents Know Best program. And we have launched our school board member training. Now, many of you know that FreedomWorks has had a school board candidate training that we've offered uh, free of charge uh, via the uh, internet over the last couple of years to prepare people who want to run for school board, step up and be that voice. And um, because we were successful in many of our candidate races, we launched our school board member training. And one of the exciting things I like about this is that it's not um, it's not nitty gritty. It is a more broad perspective because as you know, education is a state issue, not a national issue. And so each state has a little bit of a, a different take on some of their requirements, their statutes, their code, um, and how their legislation is it does support education or does not support education. And so we've gone into this with a, an overarching uh, perspective. And what I like about our program is that we have actual former and current school board members giving the presentations. They are able to share their experiences and the things that the issues that they've come across over the last four, eight uh 10 years, whatever, Uh, and then also some of the things that they've encountered during their time, but they've uh, rotated off and have chosen to become an advocate and support those who are uh, stepping up to the plate. Um, You know, just as well as I do, Karen, that, um, you know, the last two to three years have been very challenging. Uh, it's, It's opened the eyes of a lot of not just parents, but grandparents and, you know, community members as well. And uh, they're realizing that there needs to be change. And this is one way uh, to promote change. Like you said, uh, you'd like for all the, all parents to take their children out of the public school system. But that isn't a reality at this point in time. And so we need to get real patriots, um, conservatives who believe in truth, speaking truth, and doing what is best for children uh, there's so many things out there that just are obliterating thought and the ability to think and the ability to be a successful citizen, whatever the the child chooses to do in life and stuff. And so so by helping school board members navigate um, I, maybe the swamp <laughs> um, of the local systems and, um, you know, just just it promote uh, promote. Thought and, and good curriculum and you know stop some of this uh, DEI SEL CRT jargon and propaganda. So so those are um, that's a lot of what I wanted to share anyway with regards to helping those who are in the muck uh, to be able to have um, a network, um, also a network of people to reach out to to help them navigate. Uh, the system, because it is it is a, a it is a real challenge to navigate the system. So
1: it certainly is, and any time people can get help and support, that is a good thing. And this is what Freedom Works has offered, and I think it's a fabulous thing. Um, we have to understand where all of this is coming from, and mm-hmm. to think that all of a sudden CRT reared its ugly head and just appeared out of thin air is quite a fallacy. That's not the way it worked. Um, I wanted to just read one thing which is so important. W. Klaus, I never remember this guy's name and I'll have to put it in. (laughs) I'll have to edit it and put it back in. Anyhow, he wrote the book called The Naked Communist. And in the 13th chapter, there were 45 goals of communism. And those 45 goals were read into the congressional record in 1963 by Florida Representative Herlong. And I go and reference the 17th goal because the 17th and 18th, actually 17, 18, and 19 goal describes exactly what they're doing. 17 says, get control of the schools. Mm -hmm. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers' associations. Put the party line in the textbooks. Don't we see that happening today? And this was done. 70 years ago. So think about that, folks. And also don't be discouraged. What has happened in America today has taken a long time to get there. So if we think we're going to turn it around tomorrow, think again. It's going to take a long time to get it back. Wouldn't you say, Karen?
2: Uh, Definitely so. And another thing with regards to not just the school board members networking per se, but also, you know, building those um, organizational partnerships, because there, there FreedomWorks isn't the only one out there that is is trying to change the tide, shift the tide, whatever you want to, uh, however you want to refer to it. And there are actual organizations who are building coalitions or associations to combat the state school board associations, just as you said, put it in, put it in the curriculum, put it in the training with regards to school board members and superintendents. And um, that's one of the things that school board associations do. And so there are states that are rising up and creating organizations to be an alternative uh, for training um, superintendents and school board members uh, with regards to, you know, what goes on in their state and some of the things that they need to be aware of, too. So so there's a lot of things happening out there. Um, again, you know, Freedom Works isn't the only one out there, but that's who I work with. And um, I wanted to share what we are doing. And I just am so grateful that we have this opportunity to um you know, share with your audience. Oh, and we appreciate
1: it. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? And then I have a question for you.
2: Yes, um, you can find me at school boards, that's school boards with an S, at parentsknowbest.com. And that is the program under Freedom Works with which the education uh, candidate training as well as the school board member training is uh, found.
1: And it is so important to get trained, and it is also important to look around at the uh, media and see what's happening in the schools. In Florida, Governor DeSantis told his Department of Education College Board that the AP African American Studies would be unacceptable. And, of course, there was a lot of hoopla. But then I did a little digging and I said, where did this AP come from? Where did this African-American studies come from that everybody is screaming about? And lo and behold, I see the name David Coleman. And I'm sure that most people do not remember that David Coleman, who was the businessman, not educator, and Obama's architect, of Common Core. Now, what was Common Core? Common Core was designed on purpose to keep the kids two years below level, meaning that when they graduate, they will not be able to read, write and do math. Now, why anyone would take A course from David Coleman is beyond my comprehension, but I know and realize that it's only because people have no idea who he is, and this is what happens. So we have to do our due diligence and not be on the accepting end of everything. We accept. And, Karen, what my question is, why do they not look at the author's of the textbooks, that they're getting. Because if you look at the authors, you will find that nothing has ever changed. Only the names change. Only the delivery system change. They're pushing communism, and it doesn't make any difference how they push it, and under what name they push it, it still becomes the same thing. So what can we do, Karen, to give an exposure of who writes these textbooks? Because when I started to look at the authors, and I read some of their work. How can you expect an author who writes about the wonders of the 1619 Project and CRT and
2: then say, this is a
1: good author for uh, Patriots?
2: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I have been a part of curriculum review here in our district in Florida. And that is one of the first things that I do is I look who contributed? Who are the contributors and who are the writers and authors of this? And of course, th- the bottom line is the short The short answer to your question, Karen, is, is power and control. Um, they do not want to rock the boat. They want to keep the money train going. And so therefore, they continue to push what what they believe um, will help them retain power and control. And when you dumb down your society, like you said a few minutes ago, when you dumb down your society and they're not educated, they're not able to read, write, read, write, do math and think for themselves, then they become sheep, uh, sheeple and um, they're more easily controlled. And I think COVID is our probably most current example of how the government controls the population.
1: Oh, I could not agree more. I think COVID was a test to see how far they could push the populace into doing Mm -hmm. something that the populace doesn't really want to do, but will do it anyway because the government says so. Folks, that's not what America is about. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that we are going to have to do in our state, and everyone should be doing it in their state, is, as Dr. Karen said, form a task force and go through these textbooks and you will be astonished to find the garbage and the lies that are in there uh, written by people who promote it. And if you look to see, you would find, oh, my goodness, this man wrote 14 articles on the wonders of CRT and how whites are, uh, are yes. supremacists and trying to kill everybody. Well, this is what, up to us This is what we have to do, and this is part and parcel of where we must go if we are going to take this country back. So I will ask you all, is America worth saving? If your answer is yes, what will you do? And I believe the future is in our children. And if we don't pay attention to what they are learning, there will be no country in the future for them to fight for. We will all be the same because that's what they want. They want to own and control everything, including our thoughts. We cannot let that happen. Dr. Karen, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Tell everyone again where they can find you. Okay. Uh, Email me at schoolboards with an S at parentsknowbest.com. Okay. and i look forward i look forward to hearing from you thank you yes uh,
1: everyone please if you have any time at all if you are retired it would be a wonderful thing to help mentor Our children, we need to be doing that. That is so important. They must learn the truth, and they are not learning it in school. No, they are learning things like what we saw at the halftime of the Super Bowl, and that was disgusting. Um. And yet, this is what our children are learning in school. Believe it or not, that was one of the 45 goals to make sure that LBGTQ is entrenched and deemed as normal. I also suggest that you go and just type in google google search 45 goals of communism and you will get that right in front of you and you will be able to see exactly what i'm talking about and exactly how far this communist program has gotten entrenched in our government and our schools thank you all for listening this is karen Schoen. you've been listening to the prism of america's education brought to you on the america out loud talk radio network with my wonderful sponsor, the Florida Citizens Alliance. And the Alliance is working on a project to help you get your children out of public schools and help to create one-room schoolhouses, which was the way our children learned. And believe it or not, they all learned how to read using the Bible. Imagine that. So don't let them lie to you Don't let them tell you anything other than the truth Do some investigating And I will see you again next week